Welcome in. Thank you so much for joining us on the CCA California podcast. Good to be with you another week. I am joined alongside Mr. Kevin Nakata. Kevin, welcome back, man. How are you? Oh, man, it's been a little while. Just a little bit. Just a little bit. How Finally you- can shake out, shake out the summer vibes and get back into the nice sweatshirt, you know, ridden with winter. Yeah. I mean, it's kind of, it's interesting because Thanksgiving kind of makes you, it forces you to stop everything that's going on and you've been on the road pounding it and it's good to have you back. Until that, uh, the fish show up again within boat range, which is, you know, I actually, actually I take anything right now, to be honest with you, because spotted bay bass is getting a little bit old. <laughs> <laughs> it seems like it, uh, it pops up like once every couple of weeks and say, Hey, I'm still here. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Great. it's crazy. Well, before we get started, guys, make sure to go follow us on Instagram at CCA California. Also, give us a five-star review wherever you get your podcasts. It could benefit you in a in a pretty great way. We're giving away a full angle cooler full of goodies and all that stuff. I know, Kevin, your sponsors have kind of kicked in a couple a couple goodies on that, so it should right be good. On. Yeah, yeah. You, someone, someone on this, uh, our guest today is definitely gonna shut us down with the amount of knowledge that we both share. So, uh, you know, though we're old, I would say that we're still learning as much as we can. And uh, someone, especially our guest today, is going to bring a lot more knowledge than probably probably <laughs> what you and I are going to share in one lifetime. Yeah. Yep. Well said, my friend. Well, without further ado, we've got Mr. Dwayne Diego from Pinnacle Sport Fishing on with us. Dwayne, welcome to the podcast, man. How are you? Ah, Good, guys. Thanks for having me on. Absolutely, man. I mean, it's kind of, I feel like this might be a stupid question for you, but when was the last time you went out? Probably like yesterday. Fishing? Yeah. Um, I fished, um, let me think. I fished the Sunday before Thanksgiving down in Baja, and then, you know, I had to fly home and uh, do holiday stuff, and I haven't yeah. got back What up. were you fishing for in Baja? Uh, we were fishing for all kinds of stuff. Uh, we're doing a lot of shore fishing for like hawkfish and pargo and rooster fish. Um, we did a bit of um, live bait fishing for pargo as well, the East Cape. And then we did some marlin fishing, striped marlin fishing on the finger bank, uh, strictly stick baits from a ponga. It was pretty sick. That's sick. <laughs> Any video on that? Uh, yeah, I think there's, there's an edit coming out. Uh, we had our filmer photographer Dave Lawson with us. Um, he's sitting on all the content. We, we've sprinkled a little bit of stills out there on our stories. I was with Lucas Durske from Salty Crew as well, and he was sprinkling some stuff. But it was pretty sick fishing. I think we only fished for like three hours in the morning right up, right there at the top of the tide. And I think we hooked like 15 fish. Oh, my God. <laughs> yeah. Was, the Pongolero was like, those work. Right. First, he asked us if we had sabikis. I'm like, no, we're gonna, we're gonna use these. He's all those work, and he's. I'm like, yeah, they work good. He kind of like looked at me funny, and then like pulled up on like a feeder spot on sardine and second cast. It just absolutely got smoked, and his eyes were bigger than I was. Mine were. <laughs> <laughs> and and you were using awesome. single hooks on them. Uh, yeah, exactly, exactly. Big sidewashes. Hooks. Yep, oh. just sidewashes. Yeah. Okay. Um, it was pretty cool. Um. If they didn't bite it on like the medium retrieve, you could have somebody like cast right over the bait ball they're feeding on and burn it right through it. And one or two of them would light up and peel off the bait ball and fall right to the boat. They, they wouldn't eat that bait usually, but whoever lobbed a stick bait at them or right behind them was bit instant. So it was like full assist fishing. Like we got some clips <laughs> of that. It's pretty sick. Stick bait teasing. That's crazy. Yeah, totally, dude. <laughs> <laughs> 
Oh, man. Well, Dwayne, you are a fixture. You're basically a legend out of uh, pretty much Dana Landing and uh, Fastlane Kayaks and Mission Bay and all that stuff. But for those of us who don't really necessarily know you, tell us a little bit about yourself, man. Well, um, I was born here in San Diego, raised Point Loma. Um, went to Point Loma High School. I was totally into fishing and surfing growing up. Basically, you know, my mom and dad wanted to get rid of me during any of the holiday breaks or spring break or summer break. They dropped me off at the pier or the, the bay barge. My uncle worked on the bay barge or at the beach to surf. So it's, you know, it's kind of brought up doing this. You know, it was more of like what I was programmed to do. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Um, you know, worked my way up through the ranks, um, working on, you know, local sport boats and long range. Um, I took a little bit of a hiatus after doing it for until I was about 22, took like you know, five years off and did some other stuff and got back into it. And uh, yeah, now I run a, a charter operation. We have three vessels. We're out of Dana Landing in Mission Bay. We specialize in um, full day charters, uh, targeting anything from yellowtail to sea bass to Big bluefin, swordfish, you name it. You know, if it swims Big in our blue waters. Fin. Big <laughs> if it swims in our waters, we like to to pursue it. Mostly, you know, game fish, obviously. So yeah. Very cool, man. I, I have an in the social media world, if you don't follow, you know, at Dwayne Diego or Pinnacle at Pinnacle's fishing, then you're really at a loss for missing and, and missing out on what uh, Dwayne's doing out there. It is stunning the amount of fish that, sh- that is regularly brought to Dana Landing's dock. Um, you have put in so much time out there. How much time do you actually spend on the water nowadays? Are you getting in over 250 days on the water? Uh, you know, the last couple of years, I think I've, I've gotten under that just because I've, I've gotten way more into taking care of my body and um, health and just got back into surfing a lot more and just exercise. I'm getting older, dude. I'm like almost 45. I've been doing this for, you know, almost three decades and on small boats for the last two decades. Um, So I think it was more important for me to kind of minimize the days on the water in comparison to the past um, to do that. I'd say we're still spending a good, a good 190, 200 days a year on the water. Um, But there was like, Dude, there was like an 11 year stretch where we were doing 250 to almost 300 days a year on the water. It was like wow. we were living out there. Um, you know, that that was a, played a big role in, in kind of putting the pieces together here locally, both inshore and offshore for me. You know, it's even if we weren't working, we were still fishing. Um, so, yeah, I mean, we, but we still put in our time. That's without a doubt. Um, wow. Where, how do you find that balance between. Obviously, you know, fishing is your job, is your occupation and all that stuff. But how do you find the balance between fishing with clients, fishing with clients versus fishing for yourself and escaping to Baja? You know, it's it's crazy. You know, <clears throat> I got into it. I was just like a fisherman, man. I like to just get out in the water and I like to figure it out. I was more like, you know, obviously getting bit and putting fish on the boats. Like a, a, that's the main goal as a fisherman. It's really fun. But I started really getting my rocks off by the the why and the you know how come and what why did they swim in now or you know what i mean like the science behind it all and that you know just triggered even more and more um you know interest into it and going deeper and deeper and just putting it all together um and then all of a sudden it's a job you know what i mean and 
the thing is, is I have fun with it and I still, you know, have fun with it. Um, these days, it's kind of two different worlds for me. Um, running the boat and being a captain is, is one thing. And then being a fisherman is a whole other thing, I think, you know, um, it gives, I both gives me satisfaction. But these days, I really, really enjoy being a captain and sharing all the, the stuff that I've learned and figured out and put together over the years and through my experiences with others and stoking them out and seeing the look on their face, which I knew I had at one point, you know, that, that to me is really, really fun. Um, don't get me wrong. I love to wind into a big fish and pull on a big fish and lean into them. That's, that's super fun too, but it's just a whole different thing for me now, you know? Um, but then again, it's also got to be counter counteracted by fishing as well. Cause I can't just sit there and, and be the bus driver, be the captain and, and watch all these guys crack beers and, hang fish on the plug or, you know what I mean? Like I got to get some of that to keep me happy. So that's where Baja comes into play or the off season, you know, there's, I don't really truly look at it as an off season. I just look at it as I'm not really doing charters. I'm, I'm just fishing for fun and, and, you know, reminding myself why I do it. So even when, you know, you're going out every day with clients, especially during the summer and everything like that, even with someone with so much, so much experience like yourself and everything, when it comes to big bluefin, you're the guy. You really are. I mean, it's just no ifs, ands, or buts. Even right now with your stature and all that, are you still learning something new about these bluefin? Yeah, absolutely. Every single day. If I, I truly believe if you don't go out there and learn something every day, especially with this big bluefin cycle, you're completely missing the boat. There's so much to learn still. There's so much, you know, migratory paths, feeding uh your patterns, you know, why they are at certain places at certain times of the year. Why do they always end up in the showers of the Cortez or the Tanner in the fall? Why are they always down in Punta Baja or between there and the Ranger on the 500,000 fathom curve every winter? Like what, you know what I mean? It obviously has to do with water conditions and, and water temps, but it also has to do a lot to do with feed. And just like learning little things like that, figuring that out, it's, you know, it's a daily, daily uh, deal for sure. And, and you're actually going to be helping others learn more about how to fish big bluefin this uh, coming Pacific Coast Sport Fishing Expo, right? Yeah, we're stoked. We just got a call from Bill uh, yesterday and uh, gave us the wave in to headline the seminar stage uh, two days out of the four. Um, I'll be bringing both of my uh, other captains with me, Cameron Bingham and Austin Chavez, and uh yeah, we're doing uh, big bluefin seminars, so we're pretty stoked on that. We'll also have a booth there and be selling some some gear and booking some trips and saying hello to everybody. Well, they actually better get on it before March uh, <laughs> 2nd to book a trip with you because you line up a schedule uh, faster than most people uh, have time to even get a Christmas present. So they should probably get on your website or get on your Instagram or some way to contact you, right, to be able to book a 2023 yeah. trip. Yeah, absolutely. You can call me direct. Um, phone numbers on my Instagram and uh, both the Pinnacle and my personal Instagram and our website. Um, I am filling up really quick. I have you know, a handful of dates in July and September, I think, left, and then uh, oh my gosh, as well. So and you have you have three boats in your fleet, right? Yeah, correct. And there are and there you you run a Parker the twenty eight, right? Yes, sir. Awesome. So uh, that's probably already full, right? <laughs> no, 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 dude, believe it or not, we still have a handful. Like I'd say probably have 22 or 23 dates left for the season. It's between like May 15th and October 15th. Wow. It, it's funny, just a quick story, Kevin and, and, and Dwayne. It, I've had multiple opportunities, multiple guys come up to me and said, hey, 
I've got a spot. I have to give it up with Dwayne and all that. Do you want to go? And, you know, I've always wanted to go. I just haven't been able to make that calendar uh, work and all that stuff. But to your point, Kevin, it's really, really tough. When a date goes or when a date's open, it's snatched up. He just said 23 days. Yeah, 23 days left. With him. So <laughs> by the end of this podcast, or when it actually gets published, there's probably going to be half of that. So That'd be rad. <laughs> <laughs> Everyone needs to get on it. If you're really interested in going out and chasing Big Bluefin or whatever Dwayne is going to be fishing out there that, that week, that day, um, I'm sure it changes a lot too. You know, we had that incredible Dorado fishing out here and, and a really great yellowtail fishing at the beginning of the year, 2022. So you never know what's going to happen. And, and certainly the Big Bluefin has been one of the best things out there, but you do a lot of different kind of fish, um, you know, charter trips, and I'm sure that anyone that comes out with you is going to be really happy and stoked and learn a lot. Yeah, we like to accommodate to everybody. You know, we don't want to be pigeonholed as just a trophy bluefin charter company. I mean, we've done it all. We've been doing it for years and years, before, well before the bluefin showed up when it was just, you know, you had to scour the Baja Coast for yellowtail if it wasn't at the island stuff. So we like that. We like kelp patty fishing. We like it all. Um, you know, it's all really up to you. And what you want your trip to be catered around. Well, so going back to last year, I mean, overall in 22, we're wrapping up uh, this year. We're just in December now, which is crazy. How has the year been for you guys in, in general? It was really good. Um, obviously there was a great showing of bluefin um, fairly early. Um, it marched up the line pretty quick. Once it, it crossed the border here, it, it, it boogied up to, Orange County in a matter of days, but uh, it bit the whole way up. It, it was pretty fun fishing. Um, obviously, yeah, Dorado was that was excellent as well. Did I, you get um, him on on all that mahi? <laughs> I hurt my back literally like a week before that. That oh mahi no, snapped. I had a, a freak boating accident. Um, I was putting on a dock line, and a friend accidentally bumped into my electronic throttle and sent the boat flying at like forty two hundred. It kind of spun out and. <sighs> lunged and i got put in the air like four or five feet and i landed on my you know my lower back i compressed my l3 l4 so i was out pretty much till the end of the season it was pretty brutal but i i really i missed out most of that mahi i got some right when i got the okay to go fish lightly again but the boys were saying that was like some of the most like incredible volume they've ever seen of that stuff in our waters which is pretty cool have have you seen that before? Where I mean, I've seen you know mahi here and there, and depending on the patties, and you know, usually later on in the year, like September, October, when water's pretty much at, at the pinnacle there of, of uh, temperature wise. But have you ever seen that kind of volume come through? I think you know. I saw. I think I saw it in in the nineties. That El Nino. I think it was ninety six. Um, it was a pretty impressive amount, but I don't remember it biting like that and. Um, that amount of fish being put on boats that quickly, you know what I mean? I think with the, the improvement in gear and brain, all that stuff, people are really able to put the wood to those things this time around. Um, other than that, I've only seen that kind of volume like down in, you know, Baja Sur, like Mag Bay or yeah. along the, the thousand fathom curve below, below Thetis and the Bay or Mag Ridge and all that stuff. So that was cool to see here. You know, again, like I said, I only got a couple couple go rounds at it at the end but it was you know we had one kelp we pulled up on it was seriously like 200 yards of mahi all the way around at 360 it was so gnarly 
Mm. Wow. So, hey, speaking of Mag Bay, something just popped into my head. I know, gosh, it must have been probably four or five years ago or, or whatnot. You actually made the trip all the way to Mag Bay from San Diego with a friend of mine, Jake Fries from the Jackpot. Oh, and, yeah. That uh, was I think, trip. Yeah, I saw the video. That was epic, man. Yeah, that was super fun. God, that was a while ago. Maybe. Did, so, Kevin, imagine going down to Mag Bay from San Diego on a six pack boat That's with dope. probably like four or five other guys, all from, I think it was a Salty Crew trip and all that stuff. Well, the vi- wasn't that part of um, Find, uh, or that was like the first, the first um, movie. Yeah, that was mm-hmm. the first movie, and that that was crazy to watch. Like the um, because the Dorado fishing was on that patty was like nutty, you know. It's and at the time that wasn't like what we experienced this last year, you know. It was it was cool to watch everything you guys did that, all along that trip, and um, you know, kind of set a standard for what filming is, it, to, in, and especially in our waters, like no one's really done anything like that, so. Um, no, I got a kick out of it. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that was that was fun to film. You know, um, it was just one of those trips where we had the right crew, good weather. Um, everything just kind of fell into place. Everything was right off our bow, right when we needed it to be, and you know, we put it all together. James did an excellent job filming. Him and Hayden killed it in the editing suite on it. Yeah, that that was a really cool trip. I wish they all go like that smooth. <laughs> yeah, I'm sure you probably is gonna. You're probably gonna remember that for a while. I mean, that just was cool to watch. It must have been even cooler to be a part of. Yeah, it was cool. It was just it was rad. The most important part was uh this the crew of the boat. You know, all the guys from Salty Crew, CJ, Matt, Lucas, James. It was and you know, obviously J- uh, Jake and Jake were awesome. It was just a really good group of human beings. So we had a great time. The best part about it is that he doesn't have to remember it so much, Chris. When yeah. he gets ninety years old, he'll still have to be able to still be able. To yeah. The beauty of the digital era. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. It's a giant archive of, of you know, history. So crazy <laughs> part is that we'll all look back on this and go, wow, that was me back then? You know, it's going to it's gonna be pretty crazy. Get old. Yeah, I, I already do that now. God, I'm fat now, dude. <laughs> <laughs> well, you've been off your feet, right? You've been recovering. Is that right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So what's that look like right now? How are you, how are you looking for next year? I'm good. I am good. Um, I've been waived okay to start doing heavy lifting and putting my, my back under stress. I'm still doing physical therapy uh, once a week while I'm in the States. Um, I've been surfing a lot and riding smaller boards again. Um, I caught a big bluefin before I went to Mexico. Back felt felt pretty good. Um, it's it's nothing that I'm, I'm dealing with on the spot anymore. Like before early in the injury or when I was trying to push it, when I was still injured and go out, I would feel pain or I'd feel like, I'd feel like my lower back was welded. Like I couldn't move it. Um, now I don't feel that anymore, but it's day after stuff. And that's even starting mm-hmm. to subside more. And it's all been, you know, a lot of stretching, um, right. band therapy, um, just You're being building muscle strength again. Exactly. You know, that was a trippy thing is, once I started moving around and surfing pretty hard, like down at Baja, it wasn't my, the injury site at all. It was the muscles around it. I was like, dude, because I wasn't using them. I, mean, I was kind of mobilizing myself and being mindful. And like my lumbars and shit got all weak. And so, yeah, it's basically, I'm doing a lot of core exercises as well, a lot of uh, ball exercises. So, Thanks. yeah, it's coming, coming along. I'm going to be fine. I'm ready. I'm, I'm froth. I missed too much of it last year. Well, you'll probably be railing the fish a lot more. <laughs> <laughs> right. 
Which actually brings up a great topic. So, um, do you have guys that come on the boat and do stand-up or request for stand-up specifically? Uh, no. I mean, I've had a couple. And both the guys, I actually remember, like, you know, vividly, uh, wanted out of that thing as soon as that thing went to the bow. You know? Because the thing is... <laughs> We're not fishing. I, I really don't want to fish one fish at a time. I don't want to chase records. I want to do that thing. Like we're there to get a job done. And sometimes you only get one opportunity in a day. So I'm not going to sit around and have a guy to stand up in the corner, following his fish around on the boat when I have another guy waiting to pull on a fish, you know? So mm-hmm. long story short, once those fish start going to the bow, I'm like, well, you got to, got to chase them around guys. Like get this thing off me. And then they're on the rail, you know, <laughs> that's my experience with it. You know, um, and then that's again, that's just as a charter captain. I'm sure if I go out with friends and somebody wanted to do stand up, I, I could accommodate. But, you know, right. Well, so so you're firmly um, and you have probably firmly believed this for the long, long, longest time that railing a fish is going to kill a fish faster. I think so. I think so. I, you know, it's you could look at it one way is like, OK, it, you you put the rod in the hand of a very skilled railing angler. Yeah. You know, um, on average, I don't know. I don't know. I, I haven't done too much stand up fishing to be perfectly honest. So I couldn't answer that, but I've seen fish, big fish get greased in less than 15, 20 minutes, big fish, like two fifty plus. Wow. On, wow. You're talking about the, on the rail or on, on the, the rail. Thing? Oh yeah. Yeah. That's, that's big time. Yeah. Well, and, I had a, I put a 208 on on a on a popper on an Alua in a two speed. I think it was like an accurate BX 500 or something on 80 pound to 130. I put it in the boat in 12 minutes. Whoa! <laughs> Absolutely beat the living crap out of us when we put gaps in. It was like six feet out of the water immediately, but we got it in 12 minutes. A full 10 footer or is it cut? No, I was on a 9.3 cut. God, no, not a 10-foot. <laughs> <laughs> I had back problems way earlier than this. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Is cool. the, the big trophy bluefin, is that your is just that your game? You that's your favorite kind of fishing and all that stuff? Or are you more um any any pelagic or any or I mean I like it all. Fish? I like it all, but I really like big tuna fishing. I was always enamored by it when I was younger. I always enjoyed and made the most at every long range trip I worked and I always took so many notes and always paid attention. And then I just, the long range thing and big boat thing, I couldn't do it anymore, you know? And I just thought, well, dude, I don't know if I'll ever be able to fish these things again, unless I pay for like these gnarly vacations or charters and other places. And so when this stuff showed up on our doorstep, it was like, Oh my God, we have an opportunity to leave the dock every single day during the season and possibly catch you know cow tuna wild <laughs> it is like, wild to think about so that's why i'm so enamored by it right now ask me in 10 years when they're gone and the yellowtail's eating the plug off of Hawaii or down the, the baja coast i might like that again you know but it's just what we have right now is so special so i don't dare not you know make the most of it do what do you think about this bluefin sticking around long term you think it's going to happen I mean, I hope, you know, if I could say or if I could, you know, verify that I'd be a millionaire, I would be a charter captain. But, I mean, 
all signs point that it's not really going anywhere. I think if anything, <clears throat> it's like a big paradigm shift. You know, when I was a kid, this stuff was was biting at Guadalupe, and you'd have to jump on a crazy old, you know, Greg Trump a senior trip on the Islander or whatever, and and try to get down there and have two two days to fish and catch them. You know, and now they're not there anymore. You know, and now they're they're up here. And now we're starting to see them up Fort Bragg and even in Washington. They're still right. up there right now. So and the the I, big eye. Yeah, yeah. Which I think that fish came from the West, without a doubt. That stuff right. came from the West. From you know, Hawaii, is, you think? Yeah, totally. Mm-hmm. Um, which is so freaking cool. You know what I mean? Just to think that that happened. Um, what a special thing for NorCal this year. But again, the bluefin, I just see it slowly sliding to the North. You know, what it's done the last couple seasons in comparison to what it did when it, when it got here. You know, I remember the first season, it's, it parked it on the 43. You know, we nicknamed that place Tuna Reef, and we had a lot of good big fish fishing on that reef throughout the whole summer, and then it, it made a fall move to the island, and that was that, you know, and then a winter move to the to the bank for a little bit. But, you know, it slowly started moving out to the west. It doesn't even go on the 43 hardly any, anymore unless it's passing through than it did the island and, and the banks. And now it's not even hardly doing the banks. It's doing, you know, up 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 above, you know, behind Cat, below Nick. You know, it's like a, a big paradigm shift, I feel like. But who knows? You know, it's been a hundred years. I don't think this stuff was was uh a lot of notes were taken on the stuff back then. I don't think they had the coverage or the science or anything. So this is all kind of new again to us. Why, why, I'm taking over. Chris. <laughs> why do you think there's more bluefin being caught now than there was in bigger bluefin than 20 years ago? Oh, for sure, it has to do with you know the improvement of of technology, the improvement of communication, the coverage, the improvement of of your fish and tackle, your braided line, like extra 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 heavy hooks you know your anglers are getting better some of these guys that go fishing are in it for to win it dude they want to learn everything i have guys that like blow my mind on the questions they ask and then receive the answers to and the what they put forth right away and what you know what i mean what they what they retain and, and do it's like so that that plays a big part in it too you know there's just better fishermen now so mm. And, and technology-wise, what what's the best improvement on technology? Is it the sounders? Is it um, yeah. the reels? The reels, brain, yeah, What is it? I mean, look at look like from your transducers to your, I mean, omni sonars, the sonars in general, um, to the point that everybody has them now. You know, before it was just a select few. Um, now everyone has them. You know, I even have a sonar in my boat. Um, sonar? You mean the the side scan? Yeah, yeah, I have a DFF 3D. I don't have it in front, but I have it to my sides, and it is an absolute game changer. Right. Absolutely. Otherwise, you would have been blind to those fish potentially. If a lot of times, yeah. You know, the number one thing for it for me, Kevin, is is I can tell you which way those fish are swimming. I can tell you if they're walking into into the wind or downswell, or you know mm-hmm. what I mean. It, it's mm-hmm. it's it's like a wasp. It's a it's not a a searchlight it's digital it's like a, a pulse so i get it on my screen i don't lose it until it walks off of it so i can tell you which way it's going and then i all i gotta do is go wide of it oh there it is on my sonar again get up so of it turn kick the boat sideways send it out boom bit and, and you know the direction they're moving that day which really helps you predict their next movement and stay on top uh, of them exactly exactly right. so that that's 
part of like the improvement in technology. You know, we didn't have that, especially on small boats 20 years ago. But and again, coverage, there wasn't this many small boats fishing 20 years ago. So these fish, like they have a hard time getting away. Sometimes they'll bust <laughs> in the middle of the night, but they're going to get found the next day by the end of the day. You know? Right, right. Well, that, that probably also negatively impacts the fishing as well, right? In a way. Pressure is pressure. Mm. Mm-hmm. When, you know, last spring, I'd say probably April, May, even June, we were doing these deep drop trips where boats are going out at night, dropping the big knife jigs and, and you know, just, just whacking them and coming back the next morning on a day and a half trip, believe it or not. Yeah. Is, does that kind of have an effect on, on an operation like yours where you're pretty much all days um, where it's kind of tough fishing for you, but really good fishing for sport boats? Um, I think, I mean, a lot of times I don't think it matters that much. I really don't. Um, you just got to be able to be versatile and try different things. You know, if it's not bite for you during the day, uh, dude, nine times out of 10, you can get a reaction out of them. Maybe, no, maybe say eight times out of 10, you can get a reaction out of them. Um, you just got to go through the paces and, and figure out what's going to work. You know, again, good fishing for us is, is for four nice fish, you know, good mm-hmm. fishing for them is 28 nice fish. So it's, it's kind of apples and oranges too. You know, they've got a, a lot of mouths to feed where I've just got like a little, 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 you know, four pack to feed. So again, you know, good fishing for me can be mediocre for them. Um, At this point, uh, you know, everyone's trying something new and every different and every year it seems to be a different format or different mix of of something, whether it's jigs, gear, whatever. Is there a, in your opinion, is there a bad idea at this point with all these bluefin? I mean, you just almost never know what's going to bite and what's not, what's going to not. I mean, I think it's always good just to be prepared. Like I said, have like sink rigs ready, have, you know, knife jigs ready, even during the day, you'd be very surprised, especially on structure spots. High spots that are really shallow, floating things that hold tuna. That's all good daytime night or daytime knife jigging zones. And we've had some absolutely knock them up days on big fish with daytime knife jigs. Everybody thinks we're fishing the kite. Hmm. So, um, you know, and that was just, God, they're not biting this. They're not biting that guy. I keep seeing them at like 35, 40 fathoms. Drop this down. Oh, we're bit. You know, it's like, oh, that, that's going to work today. Yeah. <laughs> What gear are you using for that right now? Like as far as the material? Um, I, I, dude, I can't get enough of that Dyla Saltiga 55 or 60, the LD. Right. You, speed. you had a hand in developing too, right? Yeah, I did a lot of the product testing for for those reels. Um, and they're so sick, dude. They're lightweight. They hold plenty of line. I fish like one Dyla J-Braid 120 on mine and to mm. like whatever liter wind on I want, you know? Um, and then I fish those things on, um, the Proteus, uh, triple X rail rod. And it's pretty rad. It's like, dude, it's, it's super light. The reel's small. It's super strong, tons of drag, but it's not cumbersome. You can like run around the boat with it. And it's almost like you're fishing like a, a really heavy yo-yo setup, you know, rather than running around the boat, you know, hung to a 200 pound fish with a 50 wide. Right. That that kind of sucks, you know. I mean, you're guaranteed you're not going to get spooled, but I think if any angler has skill, they should try the smaller smaller uh, setup approach because it works really well. So the mobility of the of the setup is what you look for in the vertical 
chicken? Yeah, yeah, totally. Mm. totally. So you, when you're working it, is it is it less cumbersome to move the rod up and down as you're retrieving the, the lure? With that, I don't really. I don't really do the the speed jigging thing or this, you know, I guess fast pitch or slow pitch or whatever. I do a little bit for fun, like in the off season, but you know, I like to just fish the heavy, heavier rod and a, you know, heavier reel, not the heavy, heavy stuff, but you know, something a little bit more backbone to it. And I don't like doing the up and down thing. I'm already so tired from winding up from, right. <laughs> you know, mm-hmm. I know it works, but so I, I've, I've seen just regular, knife jigging without moving the rod around work better than everything a million times so interesting more, yeah. more like a yo-yo then right yeah and dude i mean honest to god i'd say 75 percent of your bites come on the fall anyway mm. yeah that's a good point have you been able to do any um any fishing on the um i guess now it's the frozen flower or the fresh dead flower and all that this year oh yeah that's i mean this year i think we had like 340 fish over 100. Oh, my God. 40, <laughs> 47 of those were over 200 legit oh, on the scale God. weighed. That's Biggest almost one per day. Fish. It was pretty good fishing. Um, <laughs> I would say 90% of those fish were caught on the frozen flyer or, Cal- or California flyer. I was just about to say, any, uh, any uh, input on the California flyer? That thing's insane, dude. Wait till you see what they have coming. Really? Oh god, Man, yeah. Talk about a tease. <laughs> They've got something sick coming, dude. I mean, is there anything more exciting than actually watching watching a fish blow up on one of those things? No, never. That's why I was I was talking to somebody yesterday about like they brought the troll thing and I'm like versus kite and I was like, Whoever said that was the sickest troll bite ever? No one. <laughs> that was so sick, dude. We doubled. Did you see that bite? The rod bent. Rad. <laughs> Oh, <laughs> you know, no, dude, the, the kite bite's insane, dude. The yummy bite's the best. I, I, I gotta tell you, dude. We put that thing out this year one day, and the bites that came off it, like, dude, the clients were screaming like little girls. It looked like little bombs going off before the fish connected. It was, you know, and then we're trolling it or pulling it like ten knots, so they were, they were lighting it up. You know, it, it's so exciting to watch. So, okay, so here's a question. When it comes to, you know, you have so many different options now versus maybe a handful of years ago you had one in the Yummy Flyer. With the Frozen Flyer, with the Fresh Dead, with the California Flyer, with the Yummy Flyer and all that, is there really a bad way to go? Or do you kind of mix and match or just all depends on the situation? Um, when it comes to flyer fishing, I'll, I'll tell you straight up how we do it. I like to put out the Cali first, mm-hmm. and that's like my search bait. And I'll you know I'll drop it on schools. I'll keep it moving, even if it's like a knot or two. I'll keep it moving, keep skipping it. Rod in hand, always. We never fish with the rod and the rod holder. Um, and as soon as we're bit, that thing that thing's tight. We're bringing in the kite and we're starting to send out frozens. And I usually have anywhere from six to ten frozens rigged and ready to go. So if there's no you know effing around. It, it's time to get busy. You know. Um, so that, basically. That, that program's worked for us for you know the last six seven years. So it's clockwork for you. So w- once you got one hooked, then you got to go put out the net, the second one and the third one and take advantage of the uh, situation. Yep, exactly. We're tight. Bobbers down. Motors up. Send baits out as fast as we can. You have a, a deckhand on the boat to help out. Yes, with I do now. Yeah, I do now. So you you could actually get a triple and, and be comfortable with all three hooked up. 
We've had tons of quads. Oh, quads. <laughs> All right. <laughs> yeah, <it's fine>. All right. <laughs> yeah. Wow. Yeah. <clears throat> How is that on a 28-foot Parker? Super rowdy. <laughs> That's how That's it. Yeah. It's so fun, dude. It's it's fun. We we get amongst it. We we have we hoot, we holler, we have we have a good time, you know. Um I to me there's not much bigger of a rush than having four of my, my anglers tied on giant fish, you know. They're they're blown they're blown out of the water. They don't know what to do. It gets hectic. Get them all in the bow, always always make it happen. We haven't lost any of the tangles yet. Ooh, really? Wow. Uh, Not gonna wait for you. So it's like it's it's pretty rad, you know. They're just freaking out that they're even bit. Then they're freaking out they're on the bow. Then they're freaking out they're kind of tangled. Then they're freaking out they're untangled. They're getting their fish on the boat. It's just, it's a rad experience for a small boat. You know what mm-hmm. I mean? It really is. That's so awesome. When it comes to okay, so we've already talked about the twenty eight that you run and all that, and you have three boats. Tell us about the other two. So the other two boats I have are uh, 25 Parkers. All three of the boats we got brand new, built at Parker by Linwood before he left. Um, mm-hmm. We've got some pretty cool upgrades, like bunks and, and a couple of um, like just cool little stuff we've done. It would make it easy. Um, the 25s are ran by Cameron Bingham. Um, he's a, a local kid from, from Bay Park. His dad's actually a mentor of mine. Brian Bingham's a he, legend. He just, I just saw on Instagram, I think, he just caught a swordfish just now, right? They, they've, they've done three trips and gotten three fish. They're, oh they're on gosh. fire. Yeah. Yeah, they're on fire. I'm actually going to grab some after this podcast. <laughs> nice. Nice. But, uh, yeah, so Cameron runs the, the Tan 25. That's our original boat. Um, and then I've got Austin Chavez, another local kid from Bay Park. I know his dad really well as well. Another old school fisherman guy. Um, and he runs our Blue 25. Um both these kids, I mean, I, I'm biased because they work for me, but I've known them since they were kids and watched them grow up and watched their their savviness grow and their natural ability grow. And I would put these kids against anybody. They are so hungry and so dedicated and so naturally talented at fishing across the board. It's 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 incredible. So super stoked to have those guys working for me on the 25s, and they're doing a killer job. Nice. Very cool, man. And they're all pretty much on display at Dana Landing almost – year-round because i see them almost every time i go there <laughs> yeah yeah they're down there we're down at the fuel dock there so that's awesome man well let's bring something else up a little controversial and everything um i think I, correct me if i'm wrong kevin I, I don't think it was this past valentine's day but it was the year prior to that where a big thing happened with 30 by 30 and there was a huge campaign that got started and then ultimately was a huge um ball of confusion and all that. And that elephant in the room is 30 by 30, which I know we've talked about on the podcast quite a bit and everything. And Dwayne, you kind of had, uh, I guess some involvement in all that and trying to write that ship and everything like that. What's your impression of uh, this 30 by 30 deal? I think it's just like an oceanic land grab, dude. I don't think it's purposeful. I think they've got what they need already with the MLPAs and, I don't think they need to get any more, you know, the, the way the fisheries are managed these days, especially in Southern California, just our waters, for example, is so gnarly. You know what I mean? Like they're on it and it's, it's working. Um, do you need to do more? I don't think so because in my eyes, I've been doing this for decades. I'm seeing this ocean thrive more than it ever has in, in my lifetime. I'm seeing cycles that we can only dream of. I'm seeing 
amounts of bait fish. We're seeing tons of, uh, you know, sea life being sea lions, dolphin, whales, bird, crazy birds that were never here before, boobies, frigates. Like, um, so look at the rise of great white sharks from the, right. the eradication of gillnets. Like, this ocean's thriving, and it's, it's, it's being looked after well enough already. We're able to sustainably harvest our food, trace our food, you know, car, you know, know where it's coming from, catch it ourselves. Like they keep taking, uh, you know, pieces of water from us, especially valuable pieces of water. I don't think there's actually an unvaluable piece, but you know what I mean? Like in short, we're going to be completely screwed, you know, and we're going to have to result to buying farm fish where we don't know what the heck they're putting in that stuff. We do know that it's B grade fish. Wild's always going to be better. So that that's just a really touchy thing with me, you know, and I get it. Everybody loves the ocean. Everybody wants the ocean to thrive. Why wouldn't we? We only have one, but you know, it's gotta be a two way street. And it's gotta be fair. We're all being responsible about it and our harvesting and our, our policing of it. And we just like, you know, you guys got it there. That their side needs to just, you know, stop taking pieces of it and be fair. You know, it's, it's that easy. I think you made one of the best points in that it's such a healthy ecosystem right now and you are seeing it, right? Because you're out there, what do you say, 250 days, 200 yeah. days this year? Minimum. So, you know, you're seeing it in the in the eyes of someone who's actually creating data upon, you know, what they're collecting, whether it's bait fish surveys or whatever they're doing. Um, you know, I think that the value of someone like yourself being able to, uh, you know, detail the amount of fish you're seeing is really uh, something that isn't seen in science. And no, because they could send a, a, a marine biologist out on a trip or, you know, on an ocean, an ocean survey thing, like a Monday through Thursday, they carved out that time. Well, the water could have just rolled. It could have been blue, like right before it came, bait everywhere, you know, fish. And then he comes, the water's brown or green, cold, and there's nothing there. So now the, the ocean's it, it's depleted or you know what I mean? And that's like a lot of this, a lot of the feedback they get. Whereas you get guys like me or anybody who's on the ocean, a majority of the time a year watching all the cycles, all the seasons go through and seeing what we see, you know, you realize like, dude, this ocean is freaking thriving, dude. There's so much life here. It's super healthy. You know, everything happens in cycles. Everything happens with conditions. You know what I mean? As long as you, you have your eye and their thumb on the poles, you'll realize like, dude, we are, we're living in an era with a very healthy ocean. So you kind of brought up something, you touched on it a little bit earlier about how, you know, this ocean's thriving and, and all that. And there's already this huge MPA network and everything. So what our understanding is, is the MPA network. So the 30 by 30, for those of you who don't know, um, they want to conserve and protect 30% of all land, water, and ocean by 2030. The MPA network actually um, gets to about 16% of that 30. And right now they're only um, they're only counting that 16% of that 30%. They're excluding all of the National Marine Sanctuaries, all the other areas that are protected um, just as much as an MPA would. And if you include all that number, it's actually already above 50% which if you count all that, we're already doing our part. And with what Dwayne, what you just said, I mean, the ocean's thriving and all that. What more, what more do we need to do? And, you know, I think as fishermen and surfers and all that, we're all good with conservation and doing it the right way. It's just the way we go about doing it. Yeah. And, and um, you were, you're also 
I think excluding how much fishermen are, are conscious of how much effective, how effective we are now at conserving the resource. Yeah. We've, we've changed, you know, it's, uh, it doesn't matter what generation you're from. You can see that we're all more conscious of what our impact is on the environment. Yeah. And I see more people policing themselves than I've ever seen before, which is an amazing thing. Yeah. It's all top of mind for all of us. Right. Yeah. It's like second nature. Like, okay, yeah, I'm, I'm going to let this one go to breeder. We have enough or, you know what I mean? Like, there's the the day of like filling the boat just to do it or you know what I mean like that's that's over you know there's a lot of responsibility that's been accepted by the general angler here in Southern California I feel like 100% I mean we saw that with the sheephead you know we yeah. there was a self policing at the end of 2021 where we needed to concentrate on not keeping as many of those fish because we were asked by CFW yeah. and and that alone was an eye-opening, you know, for me, that was an eye-opening experience because to have a reaction like that and actually have people want to provide um, that effort is something that I, I wasn't expecting. So, um, you know, and aside from just that fish, look at tuna itself. People yeah. are keeping two max. Yeah. We have to, but that is plenty of fish. Yeah. yeah. Dwayne, how, much, how many pounds of fish is someone going to go home with? With one 200 pound fish, they're probably going to take like 85 pounds, 90 pounds of meat, maybe more. That's a lot of yeah, fish. Yeah, how much do you need? I don't, yeah. I don't think anyone's going to be able to eat that much tuna within the time that it's actually really, really at its prime. You know, <laughs> yeah, how much? You know, yeah, you'll, you'll, you'll eat so much, you'll be over it forever. <laughs> yeah. And I mean, even look at the, uh, in a way, it's almost like the processing part of it too is a deterrent too, because if, okay, you caught this 200 pound bluefin, what, do you do? what are you going to do with it? This guy showed me a $2,100 processing bill off my boat two years ago. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, exactly. That's what I'm saying. Wow. Yeah. And Isn't you know, for, be for better or for worse. And yeah, his next few trips after that, he just wanted to fish yellowtail or yellowfin. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, and also, you know, I think I think you touched on this, Wayne, where, you know, we're not, the, the fishing community, the fishermen in general, we're not the enemy. No. We, no. we care about this resource just as much as anyone else. Probably more. Yeah, probably more. Yes. Yep. It's all of our livelihood, whether you're a commercial fisherman or you're a passenger carrying uh, commercial vessel, like, Dude, these fish need to be here for us to keep our, our longevity of our careers going, you know, yet alone. Like, yeah, exactly. And, and the exactly generations to come. He's like, I, so I give a, a major to do about what's going on with our ocean and what, what's going on with the, with what people keep or what they need. And I get it. Some people are like, Hey dude, we're having, we have a wedding coming. We booked this trip because we, we have a good film. We're going to load up on bluefin. We're going to use it for the, the meal. Cool. Let's catch eight Great. if we can, you know, let's go. But then, you know, I also have told guys, like, dude, each, there's three guys about you all have 200 pounders. Do you really need more fish? And like, I think you're right. I'm like, yeah, let's get out of here, dude. You know, that's a lot of fish. Yeah. So. I mean, Kevin, you brought up the sheephead from last year. This year we had the copper rockfish. Right. That right. was that was basically, um, you know, according to the stock assessment, uh, you know, the year prior, it was supposedly in trouble and fleet wide on the sport boats. A lot of the sport boats and credit to SAC and, and those guys where they said, hey, 
you know, this is a copper. This is you're more than welcome to keep one, but you know, we really need to let this guy go. What do you think? And more often than not, most fishermen, most of the guys were super cool about letting it go. Right. And I, and I, and one thing about that, really quick. This is slightly off topic, and we shouldn't go down this road. But I'm going down this road. <laughs> Culturally, the fishing has changed people. Where maybe rock fishing isn't the priority anymore. So you guys like Dwayne are out there and smashing tuna. Well, what are they going to want to go do? <laughs> go catch tuna, right? Yeah. So the number of fish, especially copper rock fish, caught and giving the stock assessment to give the survey data is probably significantly less because there sh- there just wasn't that many people doing it. Mm-hmm. So, anyways, that's just a little off topic. <laughs> You're catching too many tuna, Dwayne. That's the problem. <laughs> <laughs> All right, I'll slow down until April. Okay, okay. Good for you. I hope they're listening, the bluefin anyways. You know. <laughs> I wonder if they miss me. Yeah. Uh, they're, they're thankful. That was their Thanksgiving thankfulness. They did a post in their own tuna world. That's their, that's their Christmas quiff. Yeah. I got a question about foamer fishing. Okay. So, Dwayne, what's your favorite lure, foamer fishing? Um, skip jig. Any, anything that... Anything to make it skip. It's the best. So it's like an eruption, like a, like a flying fish fish. Yeah. Like multiple fish chasing it, punting it out of the water, eating it while it's been punted out of the water. Like it's pretty exciting fishing. <clears throat> it, it, it seems to work always, hmm. like always, whether it, you know, guys are like, Oh, I'm catching them on the plug. We're getting them on. You know, Shimano stick baits or regular stick baits or you know whatever. Like the skip chicks just always seems to get bit. Man, it's, it's a cat and cat and mouse game. You know, you burn it as fast as you can, skipping across the water. It's like you're just pissing them off. <laughs> <laughs> Do you get them um, to eat the skip jig without foaming fish on breezers, puddlers, yeah. anything like that? Absolutely, absolutely. Mm-hmm. We got a one sixty eight this year on the front edge of a big breezer at dusk on the skip chick. Ooh, dusk. They must have been really foaming for or frothing for a bite. Then it's like the yeah, bite they were, time they were wedged up, dude. It was it was pretty sick. Wow. What's your favorite way to target a bluefin aside from the flying fish? Is it foamer fishing, breezer, oh, or anything yeah, after that? Hundred percent foamer fishing. Hmm. Size yeah. matter for you? I don't care as long as it's foam. Let's <laughs> <laughs> go. Uh, well, you don't really have many choices nowadays. You're going to get into a 50, you know, pound pile of fish, or you're going to get into a 200 pound pound pile of fish. The variety seems to be out there, but it's kind of <laughs> at the bottom or the top of the scale sometimes. So yeah, I'll, I'll take whatever's up and biting, dude. Let's go. <laughs> Dwayne, with the new year about to happen in 23 and everything like that, do you have any? Have you thought about or reflected on anything that you want to? either accomplish in 23 or have a, have a theory as to what's going to, what's going to be the new thing in 23 for when it comes to bluefin. Is it going to be more knife jigging? Do you think something else is about to happen or anything like that? Any thoughts? Um, <clears throat> you know, every year has proven to be a little bit different, you know, and, and new tactics, you know, fish migration path. So I'm just, you know, hoping it all comes back, which it seems like it's gonna. And, um, you know, I was just pushed to, do a little better than the year before. Uh, we were really pushing for to have 50 cows this year. Um, in 21, we had 71. So I'd really like to get over 75 cows. Wow. For the for the fleet and our anglers, and 
400 over over 100. You know, just kind of set the bar a little higher for us. What What about a state record? What do you, what do you think about that? You're gonna Are you in the in the realm of probability of getting a 400 pounder at some point? Dude, it's like you know. That's, I think, where the luck kind of comes in the, in the draw. You know, it's like, are you going to drop your flyer into a school of 150-pounders with a 300-pounder in the mix here and there? Or you drop them straight 100-pounder? You know, it's like you just got to fish hard and hope you get you raise that fish and get that bite. I think it's totally viable. I think anybody's in the game for it. Have you hooked one? A big, big one? <laughs> a really big one that you didn't bring in? Uh, yeah, several. Several. Oh, wow. There's a lot of... A lot of kind of disgruntled memories on a few of those fish. We had one that the we had three fish going, and an angler he we knew is way over three hundred, and he's a pretty good angler. And I just told him to stay in the corner. I was dealing with two other fish that were had like two wraps. I was you know give me like thirty seconds, I'll be over there to help you. I'll get it over the motor. Don't go over the motor by yourself. I'm, you know, I just put your rod in the water, let him swim under the boat, and I just hear fuck. And I turn around, <laughs> and the fish kick, and I out of like in my peripheral vision, I saw the fish like floating and kick, and it was like probably three fifty. Mm. And then I looked up, and, like out of the corner of my eye, the guy's just looking at me, and the rod's not bent; he's holding it like, and then the thing just swims off. I'm like, oh my god, dude, you guys! Like, I, I know, I know, I know. I'm like, dude. <laughs> <laughs> oh god! So yeah. it came, it came, uh, it broke off on the propeller. Yeah, barely, barely hit the prop, he said. And I told him that was going to happen. You know, it's a right. prop. I think that braids under so much load. Dude, you can right. literally spit on it and break it. Right. <laughs> you know, so, but uh, it's funny that guy the very next trip got a 319. Oh, well, so he made up for it. <laughs> Reduction. Yeah, slightly, slightly. Yeah, but the fish he lost that tri- trip prior was much larger, much larger. Wow. So, but you, but you, do you think you've hooked anything over? 400 do you i don't know i don't know we've gotten tuned up pretty heavy we had the, a bite like two years ago um <laughs> we had like four over two or four over 250 actually it was it was incredible wow. single drift fishing and um we had a bite and the thing took so much line off the 50 wide like really fast and i didn't i wasn't paying attention to that particular reel i think dan was and when the guy wound the fish on he kind of had some loops or some loose loose line mm-hmm. in it so once you know he got a line back that it, it looked fine well the fish ate that reel and it, it was about to not spool us but we were down to probably 200 yards of line and it got in that line and fucking dude it hit a loop and it's it sounded like a shotgun went off dude <sighs> And breaking, what, breaking what like a two hundred pound wind on with a hundred and thirty pound braid. No, it busted. The, it busted the 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 braid like right there in the reel. Yeah, oh. but but the he guy barely probably held on. What's that? Well, he probably barely held on because it's there's no drag. It's just literally stopped. Oh, you know, dude! It, it's like just, a, yeah, he was sitting on the cooler. You know what I mean? Like leaning into it and it was taking line, and he just flew back into the bait tank. He didn't. I mean. It was wow. so gnarly, dude. And the fish ate it. It didn't. It wasn't like a a foul hook deal. We watched him eat it. Mm-hmm. Um, so I mean, who knows how big that fish was? You know. Okay, so with that in mind, 
how do you typically, you know, obviously Big Bluefin, that's your game. In your opinion, or, or what do you normally do with your gear to keep it in top tip shape so that so stuff like that doesn't happen? Well, uh, <clears throat> I'm a stickler about just making sure the line gets wound on, right? So each and every bite, it's either my deckhand or I are watching over the angler while he reels on the winds on winds tight on the fish. Um, you know, and if we notice that he did something wrong or, you know, like wound it in loose and that, that rod gets, gets racked and we, we take more than enough big fish rods for our clients. Um, and then at the end of every trip, right, when we kick him in the gear, we just put all the line out, dump out like 500 yards and reel it in and put it back in the racks and they're ready. Obviously look out for nicks and we're, we're sticklers with our, our wind-ons. I just use <clears throat> wind-ons from Ken's. Those are the best ones. I don't have to make them come to a pack they're cheap they're it's all eyes line 200 so you know we change those out anytime we see any cloudiness or any nicks or anything we're, we're really on it there's nothing worse than than losing a fish to tackle failure that's just kind of pie on our face so I, I try to make that not a not a scenario on our boats right yeah that's that's um Really interesting that you send out the line every time that you come back in. Well, most probably most times. I'm sure there's reasons to not do it if, if you didn't have to. But um, yeah, and if it does, it's not done that evening. It's done in the morning on the way out. It's, it's done though. That's that's like super important. You hear so many horror stories about guys losing fish because of that. You know, and it happened to us once. So mm. once is enough, probably. Yeah, too many. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's there's a lot of explicatives that get yelled out. <laughs> I'm like, whoa, dude. <laughs> yeah. Well, Dwayne, I know with um, you know, with us winding down twenty two and going into twenty three and all that stuff, you typically kind of take it off, right? Yeah, yeah. I'm gonna keep being mellow and <laughs> rejuvenating and getting ready for twenty three for sure. Nice, nice. I think you go down to Baja and, and all that good yep. stuff and yeah, kind of uh, do some fishing down there. Yep, yep. Going to head back down on like Tuesday for like a month and a half, two months and just do a bunch of fishing and surfing and hiking and Baja stuff. Stay warm. Enjoying life. Yeah. I, I don't like the cold at all. I'm not a snow guy whatsoever, so <laughs> I chase the warmth. Mm. Okay, fair enough. We won't see you in Minnesota anytime then. <laughs> no. No. <laughs> no ice fishing. No you ever see, have you ever seen me in my bridge on in May or April? Just glass me and see how much clothes I'm wearing. I look like a kid. <laughs> I can't even put my arms down. <laughs> I hate the cold, dude. <laughs> what? Well, actually, really quick, what's the best thing to wear on the water when someone goes on a trip with you? Does it depend on time of year? Yeah, totally, totally. I prefer board shorts and flip flops for everybody, but sometimes you got to bring a parka. <laughs> 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 um and uh, and obviously salty crew apparel right yeah yeah salty crew makes awesome stuff i've been supporting and wearing their stuff since the conception of the company and i will continue to they've got some amazing gear coming out especially foul weather stuff Ooh. oh interesting and then uh, and we should obviously watch your instagram and you'll be on that promotion i'm sure yep yep exactly i'll i'll, I'll chime in once it's launch time and if you've ever been to Dana Landing or Fast Lane, Dwayne's pretty much like on every single window. Yes. <laughs> He's in on every almost every dial wrap on every tackle store. That so. too. Yeah. <laughs> oh man. 
I remember you, like, a couple, maybe last year or the year before that and all that, you kind of took out the Daiwa guys, Mark Mills and those guys, and and uh, tested out either, like, that Saltiga or something? Saltiga. Yeah, it was the, salt, the, the LD55 and 60. Yeah, that must have been cool. That was super sick. Yeah, we had a good time. Those guys always seem to have good trips. It's lucky dude. Yeah, always. So we got Daiwa. I think you're big into Costa too, right? Yep, Costa Del Mar, best shades on the water, par none. I love those uh, Sparrow XLs. They're my jam. Any uh, particular yeah. tint in, in the lens? I like this the gray tint. I think the blue's sick. It lights up the water, but sometimes it's just way too bright for me. Hmm. Gray, gray seems good across the board. Interesting. So because obviously they different tints serve different roles when you're looking in glassing versus sure, sure. looking in, you know, just – trying to see everything that's below a cow patty. Yeah, exactly. You know, um, again, I like gray just across the board. Bronze is always nice for, or amber, I should say for, uh, cloudy days and green's good for green water. I think. Mm. So match the color of the lens to the watercolor. Is that your recommendation? Uh, not, not so much. Cause you use pink for sunrise, like freshwater, extreme fishing. I guess there's pink sunrises. Pink, pink sunrises on the water? Yeah, well, they use those pink lenses for, like, low light. Mm, and yellow as well. Yeah, oh, I yellow, guess yeah. yellow and rose. But, um, huh. yeah, again, like I said, I think gray works for everything across the board. Right. And, and you said um, the Sparrows, is that right? Yeah, the Sparrow XLs. Okay. All right. I think I have a pair of those. Thanks. Right on. Cool, man. And then as you alluded to a little bit earlier in the show, you will be at the PCS show with the booth and doing seminars and all that stuff. Super stoked for that. Yep, yep. We'll see you guys March 2nd through 5th up at the uh, Orange County Fairgrounds. Yep, that's going to be a fun show for sure. Yeah, yeah. I'm looking forward to that. Put together something real nice, it looks like, so we're excited to be a part of it. Yeah, absolutely. Well, Dwayne, I know you had mentioned that there's only a handful of dates left for you, but uh, how do we get in contact with you to book some of those dates? How do we get to go fishing with you? Best way is just to give me a call direct at 619-850-7575. I get you all dialed in, or you can check our website out. It's got our contact on it as well, and that's at www.pinnaclesportfishing.com. Excellent. And spots on all three boats are still available for 23, right? Yes, sir. Sure are. At this time. At the time of this show. Yeah, the time of recording. <laughs> yeah. Currently. <laughs> and don't forget to follow Dwayne and, and Pinnacle Sport Fishing on Instagram. So it, he's the easiest person to find in this in this uh, community. So, um, <laughs> But look up at Dwayne Diego, and uh, it's at Pinnacle Sport Fishing. Yep, exactly. So make sure you guys give him a like, follow. And uh, join the journey, because uh, I'm sure that you're just beginning here. You've been after it for decades, but you know you've got a lot more in you. You got a new yeah, back. There's, there's a lot of gas in the tank still. Good, excellent. Well, Dwayne, this has been fun, man. Thank you so much for coming on the podcast. We certainly do appreciate it. Yeah, no worries. Thank you, Chris. Thanks, Kevin. I hope you guys have a great weekend. You yeah, too. You Enjoy too, Baja for the next yeah, month and a half, right. two months. Yeah, right. some photos. <laughs> I will do. Awesome. Kevin, another fascinating episode, my friend. Yeah, we that's uh, a guest that we were hoping we would have at some point in our podcast history. And wow, uh, hopefully we get Dwayne back on again and uh, the many adventures that he has in the future. And 
Um, I then I know that I took away a lot of great information, especially you know like vertical jigging. That's just one point to make, but also like you know his insight on twenty. Um, sorry, thirty thirty. You know that's mm-hmm. really important. A person like him is having starting the conversation, especially with people that are in the industry and outside of it and are affected by it. They need to know how this is going to affect him. Mm-hmm. You know, and and business businesses like him, he's not alone. So we have a lot of. Um, people in this community and families that are tied up with fishing and making money off of the enjoyment of our resource and protecting it. Yep. And issues like 30 by 30 in particular, it's going to be a huge deal going into 2023. Absolutely. Huge deal. But anyways, thank you guys so much for joining us today and uh, this week on the podcast. Super, super fun episode. Make sure to go follow us on Instagram at CCA California and uh, don't forget to leave us a five-star review. My name's Chris. That's Kevin. Thank you so much, guys, for joining us. We will see you guys next week.